So one of my favorite movies is is Fight Club. Do you like Fight Club, Berto? I love Fight Club. Me too. Uh, I love this movie. When it came out, it affected me a great deal. I ended up actually reading the book. Well, I didn't read the book. I lis- I listened to the audio. Can I say I read the book if I listened to yeah, the you audio? Yeah, you can. That counts. Yeah. Well, thank you. Some people think that it's it's like not real if you listen to it. I mean, you didn't read it technically, but... Yeah. But so you did the same as me because I, I watched it and then I got interested to read the book and then I read the book. Yeah. But I see, I actually read the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the book and the movie really affected me and made me think about the meaning of life, the meaning of, of masculinity, the meaning of where we are in this crazy world. Right. And I was really happy when a listener emailed us and said that he wanted to talk about his perspective regarding the movie. Hmm. Uh, but before we introduce him, welcome to the podcast, Psychology in Seattle. <laughs> I'm your host, Kirk Honda. I'm a professor and a licensed therapist. My name is Umberto Castaneda. I'm a publicist for podcasts, actually. But I have a problem here is uh, we have some rules we got to go over. And the first rule is we can't talk about this podcast. Crap. So we have two special guests with us today. Our first special guest is Omid. He's a a friend uh, of ours that I've been wanting to get on the podcast for a long time. I often consider him Birdo 2. He's like, (laughs) Birdo and him are... better version. (laughs) Birdo (laughs) 2.0. The bald Birdo, shall we say. They're very similar people, but for whatever reason, they're from different circles of friends and so they don't intermix very often well if we come too close bad things start happening to the universe yeah. probably yeah. <laughs> so so welcome to the show thank Omid. you appreciate it we were talking before the show that the correct way to pronounce your name is omid but everyone including me says omid including me as well yes oh, okay. we can omit that part okay ah uh, i see what you did there so, uh, guy, this guy. tell us a little bit about yourself. <clears throat> well, other than being probably the least qualified person to be on this podcast, I am uh, just a person who likes to talk a lot. Yeah. Just to give a background of why I'm even here. Oh. Uh, you know how sometimes people say, hey, I do skydiving. And the friend goes, oh, I'd love to try skydiving once before. Right. And, and But no one follows through. Uh-huh. Well, Kirk actually followed through and gave me dates where I could actually be here. I was like, oh, I'd love to do a podcast one of these days. And he's like, why don't you do my podcast? I was like, <laughs> sure. And next thing I know, I'm, I've got a meeting maker and homework to do and all this stuff. <laughs> Just a regular guy. I got, I'm in sales, telecommunications, and um, yeah. But the shortest way I can describe Omid is that a mutual friend of ours said, everyone needs to have an Omid around. <laughs> Who said this? Uh, Erica's dad, I think, oh, wasn't okay. it? Yeah, maybe. Oh, yes, yes, he did. Yeah. yeah, because whenever there's a social gathering, like yourself, Birdo, <laughs> Ohm is the guy who will fill the empty space with a bad joke. <laughs> yeah, I do that well. We have another special guest with us. The whole reason why we're here tonight talking together is Cal. Why don't you introduce yourself? <clears throat> My name is Cal Ledbetter, and I am a existential therapist here in Seattle, and also a huge fan of Fight Club. Oh, Cal emailed me saying that he's a listener to the podcast, and he loves it when Berto and I talk about movies and right. analyze them and infuse psychology and psychotherapy into the conversation. And Cal was like, I actually have done some writing along the lines of Fight Club and existentialism. Did you go to Seattle University? No, I went to a city university. A city university. Is it uh, existentialism a a particular stick of yours? A particular stick. Yeah, yeah, it's my stick. It's your stick, your therapy (laughs) stick. It's the (laughs) shtick. That's good. 
So, so Cal, get us get us started on on this conversation. Well, I guess first of all, it's the uh, it's the fifteenth anniversary of this movie coming out. Oh my god! Wow, really bizarre to me. Yeah, we're old. Fifteen. I, I saw it in college and the, had the same kind of reaction that you did. Just kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things and really got me thinking about kind of exactly the same things you talked about. Yeah, you know, just what it meant means to be a man and you know what it means to. Uh, be a modern American and you know what does all that mean and I remember the scene where he's on the toilet and he's going through his Ikea catalog or you know whatever other name I think it was called like furniture or something in the movie but anyway the, the Ikea equivalent catalog and he's like looking for the perfect table and the perfect couch and at the time in my life I was in my 20s and I remember having similar thoughts and it really <laughs> woke me up to the reality of the potential meaninglessness in the pursuit of of the perfect things yeah but but those things are slick looking you know <laughs> those little bookshelves they're so tasty i still kind of have that problem well for you it's shoes this guy has an entire room just for his shoes how many pairs of shoes do you have i notice your jordans I, I don't I don't have a whole room I, my shoes share you know space with my other clothes but yeah there's a lot of them i don't count I've, i don't count I think you have like 250 pairs of Nike. No, or no, I'm not at 200. I'm, 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 I'm still under 100. I think I, I'm not as, I'm not as crazy as some real sneakerheads. But I like what, what model are the ones you got? The Jordan ones. Jordan ones. Yeah. A buddy of mine collects Jordans. He's got all the special ones. Well, just uh, we're talking about dates. 30 years ago, like two days ago, or 30 years ago yesterday was the first day Jordan entered the NBA. Uh, wow. So there's a. There's a Another thing that has nothing to do with this podcast that I thought I'd throw in there for you. At the time, I remember a lot of my peers leafing through IKEA catalogs. Wait, when did the movie actually come out? What year? 99. Uh, 99. 99. Okay, so we're sitting there. And at the time in the um, industry that I'm in, in the uh, what, what, I'm, a, I'm a publicist. Yeah, in the publicist <laughs> industry at the time, it was kind of a booming time. And everyone was selling their publicist stock. And they were cashing in by buying... Uh, it was splitting IKEA. regularly. It was, yeah. And so they would look through IKEA furniture uh, catalogs and you'd go to like these uh, bachelor's apartments and condos and everywhere you would see was this slick uh, Swedish or Scandinavian or where are they from? I, I don't know. Wherever they're from. It was part of the slick. World. And so you see it in the movie and everyone just like, oh, that's us. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's particular to our place and time now and the massive consumerism culture we live in today and how for a lot of people that becomes the meaning of their life is the acquisition of things that show your worth or that complete you he says that in the movie fill your holes <laughs> right is that is that some of the thinking that you had behind the movie i uh, well actually first let me tell you my so my experience was different um when i was in college when i saw the movie i think i was i don't know maybe a sophomore or a junior and i lived in the shittiest house that was literally condemned oh, so wow. so i wasn't living the that. ikea lifestyle <laughs> just yet but um you know of course like as we know like, like in tyler the, durden's house it was it was pretty much Tyler Durden's house a little less you know shady but uh kind of the same thing mm -hmm. but uh you know shortly after that then was um well I graduated from college you know and kind of started that whole kind of I guess Ikea lifestyle but then there was uh September 11th after that which oh, kind of right. just changed the way that we kind of I don't know saw everything at the time right yeah I forgot about that that makes sense yeah just a couple years later was was 9-11 right and 
prior to that, we were perhaps in a golden age of optimism and materialism, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything's bright. You know, the 90s was the, the big bubble and the dot coms and right. everyone was rolling in money and it was just, you know, the future was bright for everybody and then everything came to a crashing end. And Anyone would have made sense that that movie came out if it came out like in... 2001 or not even at post 9-11 but I mean more like after things had started crashing more and I think when it came out was there there had been the stock crash like the stock had gone down a bit but it but but it wasn't like I think people were still pretty positive well, well there would have been no way they would have released that movie because of the buildings in right. the end yeah, yeah of course it would have never come out again that's yeah right. I mean if they if yeah they're lucky they released that movie when they did yeah because if they had, they would have had to have wait 10 years after yeah. 9-11 to, re- to release that because <laughs> the whole premise is the main character blows up and a bunch of yes. buildings and drops them because he's anti-capitalism yes, yes, you know yes. yeah <laughs> yeah some foreshadowing there yeah so just a little bit about uh the movie and the novel the novel's by chuck palin yeah how do you pronounce it palin i believe it's palinuk palinuk uh the book was published in 96 i think it was his first novel no. No. No? No. Oh, one of his first. Yeah, one of his. It's early, but Choke was after that. I know that. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember anyway. the order, but... One of his first novels. He's from Pasco, Washington, which is eastern Washington, right? Yeah, yeah, southeastern Washington. Where 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 Callis is also from, right? Kind of. Yeah, yeah, in that area. Yeah. To us out here, all eastern Washington is just one big, one big swath of land. Spokane and uh, Yakima. Yakima. Yes. Y- Yakima. <laughs> <laughs> and they're nowhere near each other, but it's Eastern Washington, so they may as well just be neighbors. So <laughs> I joke. I mean, my family's from Yakima and, uh, and, and Spokane as well, so I've spent a lot of time out there. I think currently he lives with his male partner in Van- near Vancouver, Washington. So he's a, he's a local boy. He went to high school with my father-in-law. Oh, really? Yeah, actually, I just remembered that I have a, a bar of soap from the set that Chuck Palahniuk sent my father-in-law. Oh, that he wow. gave to me. So... That's, that's, so there's my little a, claim to fame. That's a valuable bar of soap. Yeah. It's a collector's <laughs> I take item. it you're not using it. No, apparently. no, no. But when he sent it, he ha- left. He sent it with a little note that said, keep your balls clean. <laughs> so if you did run out of soap, do you think you would dig in, and at least for your balls? Oh, <laughs> say there's a soap shortage around the world. Would you use it? I suppose it'd be a very Fight Club thing to do, right? Just use your resources. Well, at least on your balls, because if he wants to keep right. your balls clean, right. I figure that's probably the best place to use them. So, so I, I, I know now why what the deal was. He, he first wrote Invisible Monsters, but he couldn't publish it. They wouldn't publish it. So he put it on, like he put it on the shelf and wrote Fight Club, which they then published. Then he got some notoriety. And then they published uh, Invisible Monsters. Okay, so I was right. You were right <laughs> that the pub- it was his first published work. Okay. And you were confirmed by Google. That's right. Thank you. Wik- Wikipedia, to be oh, fair. <laughs> Which I just donated money to. Did yeah. you know that Chuck announced that a sequel to Fight Club is in the works and will take the form of a serialized graphic novel? I heard this is a hoax. Oh, is it? I, that's what I heard. Oh, is it? About seven years ago, he said that he was going to turn it into a musical with all the music done by Trent Reznor, and he was lying. He was lying. So, so I believe this is a hoax, but I, who knows? That makes sense. He also wrote Choke, which was also made into a movie with Sam Rockwell. Anyone seen that movie? It's Choke? not good. Yeah. I read the book. I really I enjoyed the book. The or I listened to the book on, on audio. Uh, I still want to say listen to it on tape, which, of course, is not 
not the case. <laughs> the film was directed by David Fincher. We recently just reviewed Gone Girl, right. which was also directed by David Fincher. Uh, David Fincher also directed The Social Network, Zodiac, Seven, and Panic Room. Panic Room. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do some tougher bluffs right off the gate. What do you say? Holy God. Good thing Tell. it's just water. Tell. Yeah. You can find one in the bathroom. <laughs> wow, lightweight. The water guy is the one who spills, not the alcohol people. <laughs> All right, tougher bluff. There is at least one Starbucks cup visible in every scene in the movie. Tougher bluff. Hmm. Cal, what do you say? Bluff. All right. Oh, I'll go tough on that. I'm going to think bluff. Well, according to the internet, it's tough. So does anyone wow. have additional information on this i mean i remember a lot of starbucks on there <laughs> so i guess that's why i went tough yeah i mean not in every shot but in every scene like yeah. in the car crash there's yeah, yeah. a starbucks cup that's that gets thrown out of the car when they crash or right. you know it's it's like in the background on all the stacks of the newspapers and in, in the tyler durden house or something so right. huh. par- apparently that's a little uh what do they call it easter egg all right tougher bluff meatloaf's man boobs were real Tougher bluff, meatloaf. You know the he, he, yeah, I forget yes. who Bob, Bob. is. Bob. Yeah. Bob. Ro- his name Robert, was Robert, Robert Paulson. Paulson. <laughs> uh, his man boobs were real. Tougher. Like bluff. those were actually his, his breasts. Is that what you're saying? His breasts. No, that's not true. So bluff. 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 Uh, with a man with some potential man boobage happening right now, I would say bluff. Those <laughs> yeah. are way too well endowed. Yeah, it's bluff. It was, <laughs> it was actually a, a, a suit made out of bird seed that weighed 100 pounds. Oh. Because he's a big guy to begin with, and to make him actually have right. that much stuff boobage. in the front. All right, tougher bluff. Brad Pitt actually went to the, to the dentist to have his front tooth chipped for the role. Because if you notice in the movie... One of his teeth has a, a pretty significant mm-hmm. chip in it. Tougher bluff. That's true. I know that. Oh well, you can't ruin Wait, what, it. For what, them, is, what is true? <laughs> what do you mean by true? What is I, that? I don't. I don't mean anything. You have to say tough. You have tough. to say tough. Yeah. Oh, tough. Okay. Uh, I'm going bluff. That sounds. That does not sound right. <laughs> you know, even though I just got the answer, I kind of want to say bluff too. I figure with yeah, but ninety nine, you put a little black thing. Yeah. When you guys were in the third grade and you sat behind the smart guy and you were cheating over his shoulder, did you just purposely say the opposite and then get a bad grade? I don't want to go on. I don't want to go off on tangents again. But yeah, I might have maybe cheated and never got an A. I was the smart guy who everyone cheated from. So. Oh. Uh, because oh, sure. you read the books. No, I just, I just. Well, didn't Kirk, do it. listen to that. <laughs> all right, tougher bluff. His power animal, the narrator, was a wolf. We all watched the movie recently, so maybe you remember Woo! his power animal when he visualized his power animal while he was in one of the meetings and they were doing a you know visualization. Mm-hmm. His power animal was a wolf. Tougher bluff. Bluff. Uh, it was Danny DeVito, Bluff. <laughs> I don't even remember, so I'm going to say Bluff. It's Bluff. It was a penguin. Yes. Uh, tougher Bluff. When the narrator meets Tyler Durden, Tyler's job is selling boxing gloves. Selling boxing gloves. Tougher Bluff. I know all these, so I'm just, okay. just going to okay. say something. I'm just going to say tough. The, the, uh, you can go with what you, no, Or Bluff. Can, the audience doesn't know. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I'm going to yeah, say yeah. Bluff Tough. Okay. Bluff Tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely... Uh, Bluff, that's not a clean answer. Okay. He sold boxing gloves? Uh-huh. Wow, did I listen to... Did, I didn't even... Apparently, my notes are even wrong. I don't know. I'm going to say bluff. It's it's bluff. Oh. Soap. He sold soap. soap. When they met on the airport, he had a... And he spliced porn into movies. That's right. <laughs> and he worked at a, <laughs> at a restaurant theater, where yeah. he peed in the, in okay. the soup. So, at six minutes into the movie, 
where he's asking for the drugs and he walks out and he follows the doctor. We see something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. Before he starts talking about yep. what he did with the movies and stuff, we got to see that entrance of Tyler. either Tyler or whatever well, it is, right? It's definitely Tyler. Yep. Okay. Yep. No, you were hallucinating. <laughs> uh, tougher bluff. Helen Bonham Carter insisted that her makeup artist do all her makeup left-handed because she thought the character of Marla wouldn't care about or be good at that kind of thing. Tougher bluff. So the actress said, you got a makeup artist. You have to use your left hand because if you put it on with your dominant hand, it'll look too good. It needs to be screwed up. Tougher bluff. Tough. Well, I'm going to go tough, but if I, I find it ironic. She probably did do that, right? But if you're that much into the cat, just do it yourself. Like, <laughs> use your left hand. <laughs> yeah, I'll say tough, too. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Actresses don't put their own makeup on. I know, but she's, she's, I'm so dedicated to the cause. You use your left hand. And so the makeup artist is like, well, listen, that's a lot more work for me. But it makes total sense because whenever you make someone do something that is screwed up, like, for instance, you know, we're musicians, bro. And when I try to be off key or off tempo, it's really hard to do. Right. And so I can always tell when they get a professional musician play something that's off tempo because it actually isn't really off tempo. It's still <laughs> you need to get someone who actually doesn't have tempo. Like when I sing. Exactly. <laughs> so they sh- so she shouldn't have had the makeup artist do it. Period. Well, she should have just got someone off the street. Yeah. You know what I mean? And said, or done it herself. Put makeup on. Or like a five-year-old boy. <laughs> put my makeup on. Yeah. <laughs> Tougher Bluff. Ben Affleck was considered for the main role. Tougher Bluff. Ben Affleck was considered for the main role. Uh, by main, oh, sorry, is main? The narrator. Okay, the narrator. I'll say tough. Uh, I mean, bluff, because he's too tall. <laughs> I just don't like Ben Affleck old the early days. I would say bluff. It's bluff. Sean Penn and Matt Damon. There you go. Sean Penn and Sean Penn. No, but uh, Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. Matt I could see Matt Damon. Yeah, maybe. Matt Damon. Maybe. It's just he's a little too too good too, too uh, okay looking for the it would have been a different movie for sure yeah. but but sean penn a little bit i mean sean penn's pretty ugly so i mean that that's the point is if you have matt damon it'd be kind of tough to be like well matt damon and i mean not that he's at brad pitt level of no, gorgeousness but he, he's but... still better so like edward norton's the every guy yeah exactly he's right in the yeah. middle yeah. smack skinny big head you yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> awkward you know i've got i've got some interesting casting information too to add to that well, wait <laughs> Because Wait, I might no. have some more things here. Okay. <laughs> okay, tougher bluff. Before deciding on Brad Pitt, the producers initially wanted Ray Liotta to play Tyler Durden. Tougher bluff. Before deciding on Brad Pitt, the producers initially wanted Ray Liotta, tougher bluff, to play Tyler Durden. I'm going to say bluff because that would be awful. Okay. Uh, Ray Liotta. What the? the blah? You would have been too old. Yeah, way too old. I think it was actually from my so-called life, 30 Seconds to Mars, that was considered for the role. So you're changing the answer, the question. Uh, I'm going to say bluff. <laughs> bluff. Okay. I'm going to say bluff as well. Bluff. Russell Crowe was considered. Oh, Russell Equally Crow? terrible. Yeah, yeah, that would have been horrible. Russell Crowe? I, you know, I can kind of see it. Cause, Hindsight with all this craziness and throwing stuff. Because back fighting. then, I mean, you have to think in the 90s, right? Russell Crowe was still kind of... What did he do in the 90s? Would have been right before Gladiator. Yeah, he was still kind of young. What did he do? I, I don't he know. He did uh, vir- that virtual reality movie where he comes out of the computer and... <laughs> anyway. Okay. Uh, tougher Bluff. Oh, God. Reese Witherspoon and Sarah Michelle Gellar were both offered the role of Marla. Reese Witherspoon and Sarah Michelle Gellar were both offered the role of Marla. Tougher bluff. I'm going to say tough. 
Yeah, that sounds about right timing. Tough. Both? I'm going to say bluff. It's tough. Oh. I can't imagine Reese Witherspoon. No. No, not I at all. could. Not as that role as maybe his girlfriend or the girl that he's interested in, but not the girl that acts like him and goes into the therapy no, no. sessions. Like, I can't imagine her with that weird makeup. She's the girl next door. Sarah Michelle Geller is too fragile. Like, no, no. Did she cool could've... intentions? Buffy, no. dude. Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer. I think she could have pulled yeah. it off. But, but I, I actually think Reese Witherspoon would have been okay. Just not, no one could have done the job that, that Helena Bonham Carter did. That's right. No, not at all. All right, last one. In the last scene of the film, there is a single fra- frame, a single frame flash. That's hard to say. Say that three times. Single frame flash <laughs> of male genitalia. Tough or bluff? That's tough. Yeah, it's the encore. <laughs> tough. <laughs> so I got to see the, the, the dude walk in at six minutes in, but I didn't see that one. So I'm going to call bluff, even though. <laughs> well, at the end, did you... Our resident... Uh, Some of us are always paying attention for that. Right, kind of yeah. At the end, did you feel a little jolt? <laughs> did you cry a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I felt like I wanted to talk about penises. Maybe that was what it was. Well, it's tough. That 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 frame that Tyler Durden puts in the movies, he put, put it at put the it end again. of the movie. Yeah. Helena Bonham Carter. Gwen Stefani was considered as well. What? Oh, really? yeah. oh interesting. All right, so let me just ask in general, did, did, did you like the movie? It's my favorite movie ever. I've seen it at least 100 times. Oh, it's your favorite movie yeah. ever? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wow. awesome. Wow. Uh, it's not my favorite, but not to say it's not in my top 15, it's probably top 10. It's probably in my top 10. Definitely liked it, loved yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I'd say like, yeah, definitely top. I mean, you got to understand though, it's going up at the time, The Matrix came out, right? And then right after that, American Psycho came out in 2000. And, and, so there's, and Rushmore came out. And it's a lot of good movie coming out at that time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, one of my top movies. I, I, uh, I, I can't say I liked it as much as when I, when I watched it uh, a second go around. Maybe because I was a little bit younger when it came out. I just went into university. So I wasn't as, like I was telling Kirk earlier, was I was more into the fighting. It's like, oh, dope. Like, people are willing to punch each other out and then go to go in public with black eyes. Like, I wasn't even thinking about the this whole other side of it. And then after I read your article, Cal, and then I watched the movie again, I had a whole new appreciation uh, for the movie. So second go around, definitely. Maybe because I travel for work a lot more now. So <laughs> that's kind of the scary part about it. But. Right. So did they accurately portray travel by by airplane? Because you, you travel, you were in three cities last week, weren't you? Uh, last week I was in two. Um, with a layover, 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 layover. So the French say it, layover. Yeah, with a layover. But uh, yeah, I travel a lot. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's just the last little while I have been falling asleep and sleeping throughout my whole flight. But before that, I wasn't as as, as exhausted. But yeah, they portray it pretty well. So I, I did get a moment of depression kicking in, and then, <laughs> and then the whole man boob thing, and you know, it was all kind Do of. Do you get any single serving, uh, any single serving friends in your flights? Oh yeah, <laughs> no, but you. So it's not single serving as much as it is like the points people, more mm-hmm. like the uh, George Clooney movie. Oh, so have you ever seen? Yeah, up yeah. in the air. So whenever you see anyone who travels a lot, you start talking about your allegiances, like yeah. which airline do you travel with and then which oh. hotel do you stay at <laughs> and then it's like how do you get this and how do you how get you that combine and, the points yeah and, and all that. this weird horrible single serving-esque <laughs> type stuff which makes you want to anyways 
And to help you fall asleep, you say you listen to the podcast. Yes, oh. I was going to say, you have given me some really, really good uh, rest on planes. Oh. But to make you feel better, and I don't know why I'm trying to make you feel better, but I do go back and re-listen. And then fall asleep <laughs> again. I truly am interested. Well, after the third time, I think I've gotten to the whole thing over and over again. But so, yeah, we need to introduce a segment in every podcast. It's the, uh, uh, the Omid segment where okay. we start talking. Very slowly, and we put you to sleep. And then we, and then we say, you should kill people. <laughs> or you should just slam something together, and then I might wake, wake up. up. Yeah. Wake up! Go ahead and put a little makeup! <laughs> Big hairy penis. Uh, so I thought, I, I actually, when I rewatched it last week, I forgot how well this movie was directed by a young mm. David Fincher. Mm-hmm, I mean, this movie, mm-hmm. especially the first, like, half hour, the movie, it just, it's so... I mean, and especially for the time too, because right. you can tell there's a lot. There's some CGI that he started introducing into mm-hmm. the, into the film, and the fast pace and the way it, it feels, and you're always like, "Oh, what's happening next?" And and I, that, yeah. and actually, that doesn't really stop as the movie goes. So I was really impressed by a young David Fincher, and, yeah. and, and he did a great job of as a viewer. I again, not having read the book, not having seen any previews, really didn't know much about what I was watching when I went in to see it. I was just as confused as uh, Edward Norton was. You know, I was sitting totally. there oh, yeah. going like, yeah. what? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> yeah, I remember actually getting a little lightheaded and a little actually dizzy when yeah. you realize that, spoiler, spoiler alert, that they're the same person. Yeah, that scene is is, is palpably disorienting, right? right. Because they, they do something with the, with yeah. the music yeah. and then... You're like what? 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 Yeah. <laughs> Do you did you guys when you first watched it? Did you guys clue in that, that that you don't hear the narrator's name? Like I didn't. I mean, when only when I read your article and I was like, oh, what? Like we yeah. didn't even know his no, name, I and I kept trying to wait for them to slip up. And no, I I was like, wow, I didn't even clue that in the nope. whole movie. I didn't realize the it first go around until I started reading yeah. material last week. I was like, oh, his name was the narrator, but in the in the book they don't refer to him at all. I He's guess, just the right? voice of the book. He's just Well, the guy. remember he also refers to himself as Jack from the articles and uh, blah blah blah, yeah. So a lot of people thought his name maybe was Jack, but it was, was the yeah. thing from the Reader's Digest or whatever. What was it? What was one of his names? Cornelius. Great name. In the book, by the way, he goes way more into all the all the Jack books. Remember that? Like he, and all yeah. the different medical Do you uh, remember those? Those yeah. I, do you remember those movies? I, I'm, I'm probably the oldest person here. In the 70s and early 80s, they, there was these movies yeah. that they would show in health class. And like, I'm Jack's heart. And I just remember this one. They showed him in Columbia, too. That's why I know. Oh, really? Yeah. There was this old kind of portly guy who he's probably like our age, actually, at the time. And he's like, I'm Jack's heart. And when Jack needs to wake up in the morning, sometimes he jumps in a cold shower. This is really bad for me. And, <laughs> and actually, he looked like, he looked like um, Ron Jeremy. Oh, wow. That, in my head, like it was a, a sort of slightly younger Ron Jeremy. Uh, and then he's in the, you know, and his heart's going, go, go, go. anyway. And then they had, I'm Jack's liver, and I'm Jack's da da da. Anyway, so that was a reference to we that. Had the, we had the, uh, the, the husband and wife. In their tracksuits, the dude with the mustache. I don't know if you guys had it out here, but I even forget their name, but they would be like health people like, you should walk this much times in a day. Sounds like an 80s thing. Yeah, it was. Their tracksuits were on point. <laughs> and very Canadian. You're, you're from Canada. I'm, I am te- technically by citizenship, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and your ethnicity is that you're from Iran. Iran. And and if I was to say it the way that I always say it, which is Iran, even though that's not the right Iran. way to say it. I, yeah. I represent my country and my people really horribly. So I'm from Iran. 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 But how do you say it for real? Iran. 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 Iran not Iran. Iran. Okay. Iran. Uh, Iran. Iran. Uh, all right. Well, Cal, let's get into some existentialism here. Yeah. Can you summarize existentialism in one sentence? Just joking. No. <laughs> what, 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 what could you say about existentialism in this movie? So I think it really, I don't know, kind of depends on which, which part, because a lot of it overlaps, a lot of the themes overlap, but I think really a lot of it comes down to, uh, to life and death more. So the, the realization that we will all die and, um, kind of having to for you know for these characters having to come close to it to have that realization so therefore they can become free to live their lives right that's a that's a, a theme in the movie tyler durden tries to get the narrator to realize his impending death and he tries to do it with other people like he gets that cashier from the convenience store and puts a gun to his head he says i'm gonna kill you you know right. but before i do that what's one thing that you wished you would have done and he thinks that he's doing something good and in a way he kind of is it's know. extreme methodology yeah but in another way you know the narrator's like man this is effed up like why would you do that to somebody <laughs> but then when he tells him the reason you know that tomorrow like he's gonna have this different outlook in life it's gonna be the sweetest day of his life yeah and yeah, that it made it different you right know? But on the other hand, he could have had PTSD for the rest of his yeah. life. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's what I was thinking. For myself, for whatever reason, I've been acutely aware of my death since a pretty young age. And so this is right up my alley. And I feel like I'm, I'm often the only person talking about it in my circles. Everyone's like, why do you have to talk about such morbid <laughs> stuff all the time? Do you get that sometimes? No, I don't. <laughs> Not about death. Not about death. Do people but... enjoy you talking about our impending demises? No, they want me to shut up usually. Right, that's what I'm saying. Oh, you just don't bring it up at parties? Pretty much, yeah. I yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> there's something about saying a bad joke, and then there's something about always talking about death that might kill parties a little bit worse than a bad joke. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm, I'm here. Thanks for inviting me. So we're all going to die. <laughs> That'd be a party I'd go to, by the way. <laughs> no, but I, I totally agree with the sentiment of this movie and existentialism in general in that to be truly free and to be truly in the moment, I personally have to be connected to my eventual death. Because when I am in contact with my eventual death, I am acutely aware of life. Does that make any sense? Yes. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's been said a million times by people smarter than me in more eloquent ways, but, but that's kind of the essence of what you're talking about, right? Ken? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think there's kind of a, like a crucial part, well, a couple of crucial parts, but uh, Tyler is basically trying to get the narrator to, to have this realization of, you know, of his impending death. And a couple um, main times is that the part where he burns his hand, right? You know, with the with the chemicals, and and he's trying to meditate away from the pain. And Tyler keeps on bringing him back to it, and and you know, having him kind of feel the pain and realize that one day he's going to die, and um, mm -hmm. and just being coming okay with that. Right. It's interesting because in our culture, we tend to teach coping skills and therapy as well. Right. When you're in pain or when you're struggling, here's a coping mechanism. Go to your happy place, which was this this green forest. He kept trying to go to. This. And <laughs> right. that scene was was directed so well, too. Right. Because that's yeah. a hard scene to to direct. I mean, yeah, you can kind of feel it a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, really. <laughs> 
that notion that we should move away from pain, that we should right. move away from difficulty, we should move away from the reality of our death. We should move away from people having died. In our culture, we tend to ignore even grieving people or losses. Right. We're just like, oh, move on in life. It's all about... Well, it was the theme of the 90s almost, right? Like that was kind of the, the 90s was everything about like now you're looking at it. I think we've kind of come full circle. But the 90s to me, if you look back, was about everything that made you feel bad you didn't do. Like don't work out too hard. Walk fast on the treadmill. You know, things <laughs> like that. And it was like, oh, don't... Don't worry, you know, it was, it was, everything was about, you know, just, just coasting because everything will be fine. And to your point, like, you know, if you feel like cold, think about being on the beach somewhere, but don't be miserable because you're not on the beach. And, and it was funny to me when, when he was burning his hand and, and he was like, no, feel, feel this pain. And, and instantly you're thinking, put some water on it or something (laughs) like, you know, like you're like, why? But that's the same idea is that that era was, was, as you know, at that time of the movie, was that the end of almost that era where we are all trying to not feel almost anything, like just kind of coast through. Right. In the Western world, we had the luxury not to have any pain at the time, particularly before 9-11 and right. age of terrorism, so to speak. Right. And so, yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. It was like the the final days of our innocence in, in America or something. Yeah, yeah in, almost, in, in right? Can- Canada, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, we're still innocent there, by the you, way. You speak you speak American really well, by the well, way. Well, like, I've been here for four years, so my Canadian friends already can tell. They're like, oh, wow, you sound so American. Yeah, you don't say A all the time. No, I don't. I've cut that out. So did they, um, did they reattach? How, how did they reattach the top part of your head so that it's You're not You're making the listeners think I'm really ugly. Yeah. I do have a face for a radio, but what? He's making a South Park joke. Because oh. you don't have the floppy head that I'm used to. Like, do you watch oh, South Park? Okay, yeah, see, no. I, the Canadians know. have, yeah. have uh, like, oh, Ter- like Terrence and Philip. Yeah, the top of their head is detached. It just oh, well, see, but... remember, I'm not originally from there. Oh, of course. So unlike America, and <clears throat> I'm going to probably offend like everyone who listens to this, in Canada, we don't really change you know who you really I are see. so i'm not iranian canadian i'm just i'm just okay. iranian I see. so the funny part about that is, is if i came here they would probably fix my head or that's whatever that's true the hell that's true from. yeah yeah in canada they don't do that so other things along existentialism it, it, that it touches on is consumerism and how a lot of people c- consider that the meaning of life in our society. You know, he was talking about, and we we talked about this earlier, but you know, having the perfect couch was would complete him, and that was all he was focused <laughs> on was having the perfect place. And of course, this is a, often an empty pursuit that doesn't lead to actual fulfillment, right? And so Tyler Durden was trying to get him. You know, he actually blew up his apartment and blew up all of his stuff and tried to get him to reject all of that and reject money and reject even uh, physical safety, you know, to to get punched in the face, to reject social niceties, to to reject government, uh, reject money and everything, you know. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, that scene where... uh Brad Pitt sitting in the in the bathtub and Edward Norton sitting on the floor and they're talking to each other and he's uh Tyler's telling him uh you know I went to college like I was supposed to and then when I was done um I got a job like I was supposed to then I I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do so I called my dad and he said I don't know get married and you know they have this realization of like I can't get married I'm still kind of a little kid in a grown up body mm-hmm. you know so there was just kind of this confusion of of what exactly do I want to do with my life Right. So they had to destroy it to kind of build it back up from the ground up. 
Right. It was also kind of a generational thing. I mean, you're a little younger, Omid, but you know, this is a, a generation X phenomenon, right? This this thing of being I don't know how old you are, Cal, but I'm a wire. You're I'm a Gen wire. Y. Okay. Well, there's different definitions of X and Y, right? I mean I'm triple X. But but you know, we were the we were the generation that we had no World War Two or no Vietnam or, or we didn't have any anything that galvanized us. So you, one could say nine eleven did after that, but in the nineties, we didn't have any strife. There was nothing that that defined our generation the way other generations. What are you talking were. about, man? The demise of MTV. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty hardcore. That was a sad day. The emergence of the Kardashians. <laughs> the, the things that galvanized us were things like that, yeah. like like MTV and and uh, I don't know, like David Letterman or something. You sure. know, it was it wasn't like World War Two, right? So what else can you share about what you wrote about? I, so I think kind of, I guess how it would all kind of tie together is, you know, basically freedom to make the choices, freedom to make choices throughout your life, regardless of what, you know, what they are, if they're, if they're quote unquote good or bad, but then facing the consequences of whatever the result of are those choices um, as a way to kind of live your life in the way that you want to live. So I'm kind of making your own, your own meaning. So I think a big part of it is, and I think a big part of, I guess, maybe a point I want to make is that, you know, it's not like anything these guys are doing is good per se, you know, like getting into these fights and putting themselves in really risky situations and burning themselves and, you know, and all of this, but that was an important thing for them to kind of make that point about, about freedom and consequences and responsibility and, and finding their own meaning. Yeah. Another theme in the movie is fascism, you know, the, how Tyler Durden basically was a fascist in a, in a sense, he, he got a cult together and they were all extremely loyal to one person right? and they lost their identity. Their identity was they were part of Tyler Durden's gang. Right. And he took away their names and he took away right. their clothes and he took away their jobs and, and they all were the same scum, you know? And so that was another element that I read about that I hadn't thought about before. To me, it was just like, oh, that's kind of cool that they're like striking back at the system. And then someone says, actually, this is exactly what fascists were like, like yeah. in, in, the, in Europe in, right. the, in the 40s. You know? Well, and then also uh, one of the things that I found interesting to that point is that he kept coming back. You know, when he was trying to be like, stop this and don't do this. And they're like, you told us you were going to say that. And that's, right. <laughs> you know, the, what was the, the one, uh, the, the last scene I just saw this earlier was when he was in the police station and uh, he's, you know, ratting himself <laughs> out and everything out. And then they leave we and really they go, admire this is, doing. we're so admire. <laughs> you told us the first person to do this, we have to take his balls. And I was like, back, back, to, back the to the balls conversation. <laughs> this one, you can blame me. I brought it back. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, the, you know, the whole the whole premise was I am like you. And even if I go against what I'm saying now, don't listen to me. Yeah. So, which is kind of a little bit different than fascism, isn't it? Like, well, or is then we get the into yeah. multiple personalities because <laughs> Tyler Durden was a fascist over the narrator in a sense. Right. So yeah. he was trying to manage the narrator by doing this, you know, setting up all these, you know, fail safes just in case the narrator decides to turn him in. You know? yeah. Well, and I always kind of took it, I guess in a way, in a like a maybe overthinking it kind of way, but that Tyler was in a way supposed to represent his dad. 
So the dad that he never had, because there's this, this scene where he talks about uh, his dad leaving when he was five. And then uh, that part that Tyler actually leaves and he's he's um, the narrator's in his bed and he's sleeping. And uh, it kind of very much seems like a dad leaving in the middle of the night, like uh, leaving his young child behind. So I always kind of took it as like Tyler being the replacement for the dad that he never had. Or right? what his dad was bold enough to do, which is leave him alone or do something that would, again, out of the norm. You know, you have a child and I just recently had one. So it's that same idea is, is that you're 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 now the nurturer and you're supposed to be there to take care of him so whenever you see a father leave you're almost thinking to yourself how can anyone leave their child and maybe that's how extreme that the Brad Pitt character Tyler was is that he wanted to be that extreme because he could never do anything out of the norm. Yeah. And his dad did. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He needed someone else to do it for him because he didn't have the strength to do it himself. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, one thing that struck me, um, we were saying earlier how you, you brought up the thing where they flash his image at the beginning. So um, I went and rewatched it briefly after I, I had seen it uh, when I, when I first watched it, cause I was so taken by it. It was like I said, one of my favorite movies at the time. Uh, and just like with The Sixth Sense, which, by the way, I don't remember if that one came first or after. I, I don't remember. But just like with that movie where it's, you know, big twist and most people that saw it didn't see it coming and stuff. Um, when you watch it the second time, it, it feels impossible that you didn't see it coming the first time. Right. Because because they put it in such plain sight for you. Same year. Oh, same year. Okay, so that year, both movies are like that where you, you watch it through the first time and you're like, what? That's unbelievable. You go watch it the second time and they spell it out like slowly for you. Yeah. And well, <laughs> I, I feel like The Sixth Sense was more slowly for you than Well, but there's all these Club. scenes where, first of all, they literally show him, right? <laughs> but then then they have the scenes where, you know, they're, they're never there in front of Marla at the same time and he's yelling down and he's looking up. And once you know it, you're like, oh, no, I can't. Or, this is uh, so obvious what's or happening right now. the movie now. with Russell Crowe, the... The one where he has an imaginary friend. Wow, you know a lot about Russell Crowe. I think I've, we've discovered this today. Uh, it's a huge movie. The, the game theory movie. Oh, Beautiful Mind. Beautiful Mind. Oh, okay. He, halluc- he has a hallucination. It's his best right, buddy, right, right, right. you think, for a long time is like right. one of his pals at the university, right, but right, he's right. actually an hallucination. And yeah. even when he's when even when even Tyler's saying, don't tell her about me, and right. then he goes upstairs and has sex with her, and it's like... Again, when don't, I don't watched it the first, yeah, me, don't yeah. talk to her. Oh, don't yeah. talk to her about me. Yeah. No, didn't he say don't tell her about me as well? Like, no. wasn't it? Don't talk to her about me. Yeah, it's oh, don't talk okay, to her. Okay, okay, okay. But, but, but then, like I said, it's, it, I mean, they did it obviously very well, so you wouldn't catch on the first time. But when you watch it the second time, you're like, oh my God, it's so obvious. <laughs> right. Totally. She sees uh, dead people. Yeah. Oh, but the reason I was saying that mm. is actually because I, I think they did a really good job b- so that you would feel that sense of mental confusion, not just plot confusion but like like how he must have felt mentally like oh there's two people living inside of me oh god right and 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 then because i actually had a problem while i was watching the movie the first time because of all the all the actions that they were taking they were so extreme and so antisocial i was like i the cool factor was getting seriously diminished for me because i'm amongst many other things a hypochondriac and things like this so i'm like don't do that. That's probably unhealthy. No, you're definitely going to catch a cold from that. Yeah. Dude, you're gonna, someone's going to get killed. Yeah. What? No, no, you're going to get killed. Like, what? Ah, right? And so watching it, there was a little bit of that going on for me. So when I find out, oh, he's also, he's like mentally 
these mentally unstable, then it almost makes it better for me in that sense because I'm like, oh, okay, well, that explains a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It, 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 that's the same thing for me was when I was watching it and, you know, at the beginning, he's like, punch me in the face and, and you know, he does it. I, I'm the same as you yeah. in that aspect because I was like, I, I've only been punched in the face <laughs> once. And it wasn't by choice. And even when we, <laughs> and even when we roughhoused back, you know, when we were younger, I was always the one who was like, no, 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 that's going to break. No, 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 don't do that. We're going to get in trouble if we do this. Yeah. I was always that kid. So you're, when a he, big, you're a big brother. I was a big baby. Oh, big brother. I was going to say yeah. big baby. But yeah, I, I was the only one that actually like, you know, was yeah. always amongst all my friends, that, that guy. Yep. So when they were like, let's just beat each other up i was like that can't who's gonna stitch him up that's not and the ground is so hard yeah, yeah. Is. i know you yeah. you are similar yeah and i also read that in the when they were filming uh that that first punch where edward norton punches brad pitt in in the ear if you remember that scene the director at the at the at the first said brad pitt you know Edward is going to not hit you. He's going to he's going to come close to your head and I need you to flinch as if he punched you. And the last moment he told Edward Norton actually punch him in the face. And oh, so Edward wow. Norton, you know, punches him and you see you see Brad Pitt like uh, uh, he's uh, actually in pain and he's like God damn it! You hit me in the ear. Yeah. That was, that's something I would probably do if someone asked me to punch him in the face. I would either miss and break my own hand, or I would punch him in the ear. And he was like, "Why would you punch me in the ear? Like, it seems like such an awkward place." And it's awesome because I watched that a couple times. That you know, this time through, and you can you can hear that that just sort of dead thud of him hitting his ear it's just like this it's just kind of like this you know it, it, yeah it's like oh you know that feeling of just getting punched in the ear it's like, <laughs> well like did you guys do martial arts when you were growing up yeah no. i'm japanese it's born in me is it what what did you do everything no come on no, i didn't do any martial arts oh you did it okay no. so I, I wrestled but i didn't oh, okay but wrestling wow we yeah. like exact opposite i did martial arts when i probably should have wrestled because iranians wrestle a lot and you did iranians wrestling. wrestle a lot yeah we're number yeah. one all the time dude. Oh, i did yeah. not know that yeah huh. um i did do martial arts i didn't wrestle that and weightlifting um but so i did taekwondo taekwondo is uh very kick oriented as you may or may not know. And but but in my in my school we all practiced in the park and it was no padding. There's never any padding. So the rules when you sparred are you could punch above the belt and not the face and you could kick above the belt all the way to the face and there was no pads what wait so okay as a hypochondriac how did you do that because I played that's probably why I'm now a hypochondriac <laughs> I did kickboxing and I had to pad up I like know, underneath my it's my so, gi I had so more pads than they even sold because I was afraid of my shin breaking if I collect yes. like com hit with so I, I can only say why would was, they say okay you can't punch the face that's cruel but you can kick the face that's fine the think I mean, listen first of all it's Colombia in the mid mid to late 80s so I'm sure there's no oversight on this stuff and we're practicing in the park it's there's not no like disclaimers yet to sign right, right. <laughs> um, the only thing I can figure is first of all it was easier to block a kick than a punch because once you're already close range a punch to the face is it's going to be harder to like actually avoid but when you're when you're sparring like the kick you you're supposed it. to be blocked that's what yeah. you're supposed to be but i still got hit in the face by kicks often like i one time ra uh roundhouse like with with his heel right in my forehead i land oh my god it was so painful and then uh i would 
I'll, a lot of times I would smack cheeks with my with the top of my foot. Oh. <laughs> 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 like, Bruno just <laughs> destroyed the electronics by kicking his foot, and it wasn't like We're one okay. of these moments was, where we can leave it. It's okay. No, no, it's hanging. You got to pull it up by its bootstraps. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh it wasn't God. athletic at all either. Uh, I'm sorry. I I came down on my on my hands. <laughs> Anyways. But but the point is, I know what it's so fe- graceful. I know what it feels like to get hit, especially punched in the into thorax and like all these things. And so I think I developed a natural like, okay, fighting's hard. Like you can get hurt, right? And people would get hurt. They would twist ankles, break an arm, like put people in casts and stuff. People would get hurt. So I didn't I, need to get hit to know I, that. I, I ex- well, I guess well, right, two point As a result, that you intuited from my genes what <laughs> could happen. Um, so then. I grew up like that thinking, well, yeah, no, then you don't fucking want to get in a fight because if this is sparring, like, you're going to get seriously hurt. So, yeah, watching a movie like that is hard for me because I'm like, ow, ooh, that really hurt. No, don't slam his head against the ground. Oh, my God. But then the crazy part is at the end, you find out that he did it all to himself. Right. Right. And that is like where the part where you're like, okay, or you're punching someone else or getting punched or something, but you just (laughs) beat the crap out of yourself. How did you do that? Like that is the and that and that I think uh, when I read I read your article first. Uh, is it good to call it an article? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure. not a scholar here. Yeah. <laughs> I read your letters and words. <laughs> they had pictures in them as well. <laughs> yeah, I read that first. So you know, when when you're thinking about that whole concept of you know reality and and what I'm trying to build towards and is it real and and what am I gonna you know the extremity of what he does. I've, you know, we've all, I guess, been there. You guys were there during the movie, and I guess I've been there somehow from then on. And and you're trying to build that same idea, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, do something different, or I'm I'm gonna be extreme, or I'm gonna do something. But never to this. I mean, this is like, you know, maybe the movie aspect of it. But I mean, I've never wanted to punch myself in the face. <laughs> yeah, other people, yeah. not myself. Well, have you seen uh, I Heart Huckabee's? Yeah. Do you like that movie too? Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie, uh, similar to Fight Club, but different, obviously. Right. But there's a scene where the two of the main characters are punching each other in the face with a balloon that's that's that has substance to it. It's kind of like a ball or something, um, like a like a uh, dodgeball ball, and they're just beating each other in the <laughs> face. And they say for like a couple seconds, they they're they have enlightenment because they've they've <laughs> lost their sense of self in that second <laughs> when you get punched in the face with something it rattles you to a point where you lose a certain connection to the attachments that you have in everyday life and so so when you get punched it's similar you know it, it's it's a it's a shock to the system to to an extent that makes you confront particular realities of our body and our and our you know fragility and our connection to other things in the world you know yep. that that we don't normally have to confront so i think that was a part of it as well yeah, interesting. So, so we could all punch each other in the face and see if that brings us closer to enlightenment. That's well, right. Beto and I will just watch you guys do it. We're gonna, we'll, <laughs> we'll make sure no one breaks anything. And uh, I'll punch myself in the face. Apparently, well, you, you punch, punch the shit out of my electronics. <laughs> it's probably really enlightened right now. Cal, you're a therapist. I am, and you practice in what part of town? I uh, kind of on the border of uh, Fremont and Wallingford. Do you? Use 
existentialism in your practice with your clients? I do. How, how, how does that work? How does that work? So, um, it's really kind of just all the, all the things we were talking about, you know, the meaning and purpose, um, um, I guess one thing we haven't talked about yet, but isolation and connection um, to other people, uh, you know, death definitely um, will come up. And so it's kind of exploring a lot of those, a lot of those big picture existential issues that people have um, more so kind of working from the present, you know, so not doing a lot of talking about the childhood, not doing a lot of talking about um, the way people relate to people, you know, um, via how they related to their parents, but more about how they were relating to me as the therapist and kind of what's going on in the room. So, so say so in a nutshell. Yeah. So say someone comes in and they're depressed or something and, yeah. and they're not severely, but they, they just lack a, a zest for life and they, they don't know where they're going in life. What, what kind of direction might existentialism take the therapy? I mean, of course it really kind of depends on what they're, what they're bringing in. Right. Yeah. But, um, um, if, uh, I don't know, like it could, they could take a a look at their relationships kind of via, um, you know, how they're, how they are in the room and how they are with me. So if they um, have a lot of weird relationships, they're probably clearly going to have a weird relationship with me. And that would be something that we could then end up talking about. Um, uh, And then, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm forcing people to be like, where do you find meaning in your life? You know, and, and asking all those hard questions, but it's usually something that down the road kind of comes out for people. And, um, I kind of navigate that for them and, and help them kind of come to those conclusions. So they might start talking about, I used to think that if I had a job and I had a family, everything was, I was going to be happy, but, but that didn't, that's not happening for me right now. You might ask questions along the lines of, the meaning that they have in their life and, and the purpose that they either have or don't have at that time. Yeah. We, so we would end up talking about, um, you know, where they have found happiness before. And, um, you know, a lot of times people have something they really wanted to do and they gave up on it for some reason. Like it wasn't a smart route or it wasn't the thing that, you know, their parents told them they should study in, in college or, you know, they got married because, um, for whatever reason, um, and their life just kind of, took a different course and so you uh, put a gun to their head and, yeah, and say uh, yeah, yeah. i'm gonna shoot you steal their id and i <laughs> go and check up on them once a week <laughs> that's that works right yeah, yeah yeah every time it's like three minutes of therapy yeah <laughs> where was your practice again <laughs> currently it's from prison but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where we are right now <laughs> existentialist <clears throat> therapists don't necessarily utilize the relationship the way that you do correct um Yes and no. I mean, at least it depends the, on who you ask. The purists in the beginning—that's sort of a, more of a psychodynamic approach. Um, I don't. I think it depends on who you ask. Okay. Some people, yes. Some people, no. Okay. Um. So. So it, it deals with the four classic dilemmas, right? Right. Death versus life. Life. Right. Or fear of death. Freedom versus responsibility. Right. So these are the existential dilemmas that we all have to navigate somehow. Right. We all have to figure out the meaning of our life when it comes to having the freedom to do whatever we want, to have sex with whoever we want and eat whatever we want and, you know, leave whenever we want and the meaning of responsibility in terms of being responsible to each other and our future. So we have to navigate that. What's the, what's the, what's the, what are the meanings in there and how do we figure out how to have ultimate well-being within all four of those dilemmas and then the other ones are what are the other dilemmas um i think you named all of them didn't you or no. isolation versus connection 
in the book, the ending seems to have a very different meaning. Meaning versus meaninglessness. That's what it is. Yeah. The, <laughs> speaking of which, the ending of the book to me seems to have a very different meaning than the ending of the movie. Well, because it ends completely different. Yeah. And, and, and how does it, the book end again? I forget. The buildings don't blow up because he yeah. figures out how to uh, defuse the bomb. Yeah. In the novel... It's almost like a more hopeful ending. Kind of. Well, in the end, I mean, do you remember the remember how uh, there's a, like an extra chapter essentially that yeah. would come after That's uh, right. the end of the movie where he's um he's in the psych ward, yeah. and uh, and he knows that he you know is crazy and had made all this stuff up. Yeah. But um, then there's a little thing kind of in the last couple sentences where every once in a while the orderlies come by and they'll nod at him and they have a black yeah. eye. Yeah. So <laughs> now he's he, so he still doesn't know whether or not he actually made all this up. Well, he, well, I got the sense that he definitely didn't make up the Fight Club and stuff like that, but he, he made up the Tyler Durden wasn't real, and clearly he was going... Well, he felt he was going too far and all these things, but I don't know. I got the sense in the book, like almost like, oh, okay, he's realized he's kind of mentally not all there, and he's not really going to blow up the buildings. And this. Whereas in the movie, it was really more like, you know, like, well, there goes those buildings. Uh, at least now I got rid of this weirdo, and uh, but yeah, let's go live a new kind of... Uh, society. Does he shoot himself in the book? Because I still couldn't kind of get. Once I rewatched it, I was like, he really shot himself in the face, and he's still living and talking. Yeah, and he's like, go get gauze. Did he shoot himself? Uh, yeah, but but it was through, it went through the cheek. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. when people try to commit suicide, uh, and it could be argued he wasn't trying to commit suicide. Right. When they shoot themselves in the head, they often survive it because people don't know where to aim the gun. Or it'll bounce off something because it'll be low caliber or something. But yeah, people often survive their own suicides to the head. Yeah. Ah. <clears throat> so <laughs> or it'll go through a non-vital part of the brain. Is this just like a normal party you have, Cal? Talking about suicide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so I remember when I read the book afterwards. Well, I enjoyed the additional detail in the book quite a bit. But when I got to the ending, I actually liked the movie better. I did too. I did too. In, in spite of my, what I was saying about me being so cautious about everything. <laughs> Maybe it's just because it was a more cinematic ending. Duh. But in the movie, I almost felt like there was no comp, not as much compromise in the ending. It's like shit just got real. Yeah. Life's changed for permanent you know that's not usually the case to like the movie more than the book but i yeah but i didn't read the book first you know yeah. so I don't and, know. And, and the the movie if i remember right follows the book pretty closely up until that point well, right? i think chuck palinuk supervised the script oh, of okay. the movie yeah. so a lot of the narration is actual stuff from the yeah. book because you know how some books and movies are like did you know they're making a moby dick movie i saw a preview for that last night Really? How huh. in the world are you going to make a movie out of Moby Dick? Well, this is exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. The movies nowadays are just so far-fetched because you can make two buildings blow up, but now, you know... But Mo Moby Dick is... It's a story. There's a story, mm -hmm. but it's also much more than just this story about a whale and mm -hmm. a guy who's chasing it. It's like right. all sorts of... I don't know how to describe it because I'm not a literary person, but... Existential. But, but from the <laughs> from the preview, it's it's purely a movie about this whale attacking this ship and right. the ship jaws with a whale yeah it's jaws with a whale and massive cg right and so uh i just thought why not just make a movie called the whale and the captain like why call it moby dick it's it's this way with a lot of different marketing yeah it's like just publicity 
Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> you should know about this, Umberto. Yeah, I'm a publicistist. <laughs> publicistist. <laughs> so let's talk about multiple personality disorder, which is what you're trying to get at, right. or dissociative identity disorder. What do you say? Let's, I don't know. It's one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so in the most recent diagnostic manual, the DSM-5, dissociative identity disorder is still included. Uh, have you, you've heard of multiple personalities, right, Omid? Yes. But, but your other or you hasn't? Which one of my personalities would you like for this segment? I'd like to speak to Omid. Oh, okay. Let's do it. <laughs> and so I thought we'd talk a little bit about that because I, there's a lot of misconception about dissociative identity disorder in the public. Because it's one of those things that gets depicted in movies in somewhat inaccurate way and gets talked about in an inaccurate and doesn't get discussed very accurately very often. Because, you know, can you remember a time when someone actually talked about the realities of dissociative identity disorder? No. no. Yeah. You've I, only seen it in movies as depicted, like, in Fight Club or... In uh, that awesome movie with Edward Norton. Uh, the one where he's uh, the choir boy. Oh, yeah. And is that... Pe- Primal fear? Primal. Does he have multiple personalities? Well, maybe he's just pretending. I had spoiler alert anyways. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's other movies that depict it. So, so I thought I'd just go, I just thought I'd just paraphrase what's in the DSM. Now, as always, whenever I talk about diagnoses in the DSM, we have to have a caveat that the authors of the DSM are but humans and are attempting to categorize a complicated human experience. And when they, whenever you do that, uh, we are limited to linguistics and to the opinions of the, of the writers. So what they say is that uh, the criteria are uh, disruption of identity characterized by two or more distinct personality states, sometimes referred to as alters. So they don't like to say multiple personalities. They'd like to say one personality with with different oh. with different states because two personalities sounds like it, it, it promotes this idea that you're essentially two completely different people, but that's not often the way it is. There's a little bit of overlap between the, the states. But but can it be as extreme as like, this is Maria and this is Bob? Yes, it can okay. be. It, it can be, you can have a soccer mom take on the visual appearance and, and in their voice and their language of a plumber male, you know, mm-hmm. or something. So also they say that in some cultures they will describe this as a possession. So uh, in oh. fact, before we were recording, Omid, you were like, when he became possessed, you said that. You said, I think you, didn't you say that? That the narrator was possessed with Tyler. Are you putting Gert. words in my mouth? I don't know. I thought you said possessed. Did <laughs> you not? Possessed? No, possessed. Possessed. Maybe possessed. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't well, remember. anyway. I use words so, a lot. Well, and actually, you know, you must have because uh, in The uh, Exorcist, which is about possession. Yeah. The main bad guy comes from Iran. He's unearthed in Iran. So then that makes sense that I would that, say that's that what he you was would bring possessed. it up. I yeah. get it. From the land of possession. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. But the funny part about that is that you're you're talking about the what were you talking about five seconds ago? Before the possession? Editing, yeah, but something about that brought up religion in my mind. You said something earlier that you said. Possession. They often will interpret it as being possessed. Oh, but- right. Possessed. Yes, yes. <laughs> the whole thing of what I said. Um, <laughs> you said some cultures. Is it cultures or is it more religious beliefs in these cultures? Same thing, right? Same idea. So different okay. cultures have different religious beliefs and right. vice versa. So... 
Um, and there are you know a wide range around the world of different belief systems regarding this. In the West, we consider this to be uh, something that is wrong with your brain. You have a disorder. Uh, the vast majority of humans around the Earth would consider this in all likelihood to be some sort of possession of, of a spirit or something. I, I cannot believe by the way, it never occurred to me that that would explain possession phenomena. Huh. Like I, I've always just assumed people were making stuff up. <laughs> well, so so, and so some too, cultures right? yeah. might think that. I'll get into that in a second. So people might report that their bodies feel different. They they might be puzzled by their be by the behavior of another personality state. So they might be saying to themselves, "What did I do?" Let you know they might. Someone might say, "Last night you did da 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 da," and they might think that was me. You know, like that doesn't sound like me. So, so people with dissociative identity disorder, as it's described, will report things like that. In the DSM, it says that the disruption in identity involves discontinuity in in the sense of self. So there has to be a demarcation line between one personality state and another personality state. And it's often accompanied by related alterations in affect, behavior, memory, perception, cognition, etc. Alcohol consumption. Hmm. Yeah, sure. Do they, do they happen based on a trigger or is it like randomly? They can be based on a trigger often. Or they have a certain logic to it like hmm. this alter goes to work I and see. this alter has social uh, as a social life and this alter have you guys seen this in your because okay so from a normal person who's sitting here uh and by normal i mean not you know smart like you three um do you guys see this in your practices like do you have you actually ever seen someone with a with a solid dual personality that you that you can visually see happening have you Cal? no i've seen people who dissociate you know, who will check out and not really kind of be able to hear you or, you know, um, just kind Sorry, of... Sorry, what did you say? Uh, <laughs> like that. Like, right. like what you're doing right yeah. now. Ah, dissociative <laughs> humor. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, no. And I'm, I'm really actually um, not that familiar what this would even okay. be like. So I'm actually wondering, um, is it even possible for people to do these things like in Fight Club where they will be someone else for the whole night right. and then wake up in the morning and just have no idea that that had happened. Yep. As far as I knew, I thought that was fictional. So, well, and I'll get into that in a second, but, but yeah, according to those who quote unquote believe in this phenomenon, that sort of thing can happen. But to answer your question, Omid, I, I have never treated anyone to my knowledge with dissociative identity disorder, but, and I have seen as Cal has seen a lot of people who dissociate, uh, meaning that they will as a defense mechanism to protect themselves from difficult things happening around them will will dissociate and, and pull back from reality a little bit so that they don't have to feel anything. And as a mm-hmm. result, they, they'll say they feel spacey and their brain isn't working quite right. And they might actually not remember what happened. Uh, one way of thinking about uh, dissociation in general is you've all been on the road driving somewhere and then uh, like a half an hour will go by and you won't remember having turned or done anything. You'll be like, how did I... Uh, for the past half hour, How did I've, I get here. I, this I, is not my beautiful, beautiful house. This is not my beautiful <laughs> wife. I've I've been well. That's maybe that song's about dissociate. This yeah. is not my beautiful house. <laughs> this is not my beautiful wife. Um. So, uh, you've had that experience, right? Yeah, and I, that's what I experience when I read. Okay. Yeah. Like four yeah. pages will go by, and I'll go, "What the heck did I right. just read?" So maybe I'll try the tape thing that you're doing. Yeah. So <laughs> so a then part of your to sleep. <laughs> a part of your brain yeah is reading it. A part of your brain is driving right, and it's that's a complicated thing to do to read and, and to drive and the driving thing
things more pronounced because you could say you were just looking at the words and not really. But when you're driving, you're you're really driving, you know, you're turning and da, 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 da. And so how does your brain do two things at once? And, mm-hmm. and why does it do two things at once? Well, we know enough about the brain now to know that multiple processes can be occurring at the same time. And if you've been traumatized at an early age, like the age of like three, four, five, repeatedly, physically or sexually abused, then your brain will sometimes develop a defense mechanisms, a defense mechanism to cope with that by separating yourself from reality. That's general dissociation or by taking on a different personality state that will encounter the abuse. So with the movie, one could say that the Tyler Durden character was the one who experienced the, the abuse as a child. Mm-hmm. And the narrator was protected. And that's sometimes what happens. is like one person will be, I'll take this for the team. And I'll take on all the ugliness and the trauma. While the other personality states and the other alters don't have to experience that so they can have some normalcy. Well, just like his apartment and how it was perfect and then Tyler Durden's house and how horrible it was and messy it was, that same that same uh, right. right. concept. There. And when the gangster comes to break up the party in the fight club, right. Tyler Durden says, I'll take this, the narrator. Oh, I will wow. let Lou beat the crap out of me. And, and actually, the narrator even steps forward a little bit and Tyler waves him off. It's like, no, I got this. Yeah. Like, I'll right. take this for the team. I'll be the one to be abused. Right. And, and he doesn't fight back. He just takes it. Right. So... So that's so. So other other um, uh, criteria in the DSM: the signs must be observed by others or reported by the individual, which I find to be interesting. <laughs> so so uh, uh, clinicians have to observe these changes in consciousness, or they just have to be reported by the individual. <laughs> um, and and what people will say sometimes is they will say that they get a totally different vibe from different altars. They'll say that one altar, it's like two different people, or it's like five different people, or 12 different people. Sometimes people have a hundred different altars, and it's hard to keep track of them, but the individual has them all. But anyway. But don't we all have little altars? Um, you could say that, uh, We, but in the way that the proponents of this diagnosis would say they would say you don't pronounced yeah i mean they could say you kind of do i mean you might have different processes like when you're driving and daydreaming or but i mean like in in everyday life like like, you know your work your you know you meet your 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 clients your patients yeah you're not you know the same person you've got these different kind of personalities but you're aware of what you're changing yeah and you're still the same person just using different parts of your personality right yeah Yeah. okay so okay so so i'm doing it wrong yeah (laughs) yeah okay it's similar but and one could make the argument that it's analogous but but it is quite a different experience because like in the movie alters often don't know so so one of the common things with people with did is that they don't recall whole swaths of time because the current altar that's talking to the clinician will not have access to those memories because a different altar was actually uh, in in driving the car, so to speak, in those moments. But now, so his altar is interacting. They're interacting with each right. other. So, I mean, is, is that possible? So, so, so that's where, you know, in order to make a movie out of it or a book out of it, uh, that's where they took it to another level that right. doesn't usually happen. One, you don't normally have that much interaction. And also, you don't hallucinate the other altar. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because the narrator saw 
Tyler Durden walking around outside of him. So that would be more of he like schizo- described him at one point, right? Like right. the difference between them body type and looks and right. Or maybe it was more character when he was with Marla. Well, the whole thing, the whole all idea, that. yeah, but all of it, yeah. Okay, so he, he saw him. So with dissociative identity disorder, you don't see the other alters because the alters are inside the, yeah. the person. But you might see something different when you look in the mirror. Yes, like like you're not, but you weren't hallucinating. You're not hallucinating that other person. But when you turn yourself into something else, you might see completely something different. Is that is Maybe, that a case yeah. or no? I don't know. Maybe, but well, no, they, they would they would they would interpret their reality of their face differently okay um, that isn't to say that you can't have comorbid or uh, a different disorder alongside did like schizophrenia or other psychotic disorders so that's interesting so for this to be doable so to speak you need a disorder where the person's not only dissociating but also hallucinating right and combining both states at the same time and telling right? you about it as well because otherwise, yeah, otherwise and, it's not real <laughs> and not only hallucinating but hitting themselves and hallucinating that it's somebody else doing it to right. them that's a good point i will i will say one thing though it if you're to believe the fiction of the of the movie and stuff, that there is no moment in which, as obvious, no one else sees both people at the same time, right. and so we actually have an unreliable narrator device, which means that in the moments that we see both people talking to each other and stuff like that, that could actually be whatever <laughs> in right. a weird yeah. way. And so, like the only moment that, but his, that, but well, his memory the, was, I was talking to Tyler. If he if if he yeah. was to talk to someone, yeah. he was like, I was talking to Tyler Durden. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, there was a moment though when you watch it again, where him, Marla, and and uh, the narrator, Marla and Tyler, were in the kitchen and they were almost having that conversation, but both with the narrator. Right. Marla was having the conversation with the narrator, and so was Tyler. And and at that point, I mean, if you you obviously see it for the first time, you don't kind of clue in how come they're not talking to each right. other. But when you see it for the second time, it's an obvious conversation that he's having with himself battling like you shut up no you shut up and right. then he's talking to her but marla thinks that her. he's talking to her right In and fact, marla so. thinks one person's talking to right. her and that's right. why she goes crazy and goes you're so crazy that, but that, have, that, go ahead have you guys ever heard that kind of internet theory that's floating around that marla might be a third personality um, I haven't. No. I haven't Googled it. So, so, he, so he's just masturbating upstairs, making all that noise. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess if you can fight I think yourself, it's un- and, you know, why not? Right. Yeah, totally. it, it might be an unnecessary addition in my opinion. Like, sure. Then everyone, the whole movie could have been a, you know, a right. Like, the but whole it, army are all, it's kind of a little, well, but, so, but I would say that so, the what, files are in the computer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what I was going to say is that in, one one thing that could bolster the point that is that no one ever, except for that scene, but even in that scene, like you just pointed out, Marla doesn't say, are you talking to someone else? She just assumes he's being a dick or crazy. No one ever said, he never has a conversation about Tyler Durden with anyone. No. Right. And, and so in the scenes where you think he's triangulating and stuff, that's not happening. He's never doing that. So you could almost still still make the argument that the, the Tyler Durden-y thing is this wackiness from this unreliable narrator as he's narrating it to whom later, you know, in this weird now way. Now I'm trying to replay the yeah. whole movie and try to figure out how Marla's... Because in the therapy sessions, she isn't really noticed or, or really discussed. But at the end, when he goes to her, they, you know, they're like, you're not supposed to be... So they obviously do see her as a person because when, when he starts talking 
talking about it in the in the cafe in the cafe and when he puts her on the bus and all that stuff you know there's obviously something some person yeah there. like the other, like the goons grab her right yeah, and bring yeah. her in and stuff yeah. like that and and her, yeah yeah anyway. so i don't believe that theory and she so, survives oh, okay. she survives the gunship <laughs> and i actually think the point of the whole movie Bluff. is the relationship between marla and the narrator yeah huh. so, which, which people also don't really think is how, how is it how is it the whole movie i think that everything he does revolves around around marla or not maybe her specifically but i think that the i, I don't know i guess kind of going back to the existential part but um the isolation versus connection is that really like what the movie is about is about how he um over connects to people or isolates himself right um and then um, once he kind of incorporates both of those personalities, then is able to be in this relationship with Marla in kind of a, in a normal way without either treating her like shit or um, having to, you know, completely depend on Because initially he isolates himself, right? He's like, you can't be here when I'm here. Well, no, you and, think and- he does that. That's that's what's brilliant is that I had that reaction. I started feeling annoyed at Marla. I'm like, why is she being so rude to him? You know? Yeah, yeah. And then because you're thinking they're actually at a point in the movie they're barely interacting at all. You're like, all right, well, I guess she was just some side character. No, she's seeing him all the time. It's just it's Tyler, right? And yeah. he's being wacky as fuck. That's why right. she's pissed, right? And that's so, no, no, yeah, yeah, because they have sex, and yeah. then she comes downstairs. No, I mean, I mean, right at the beginning. So at the beginning, when they were oh, both uh-huh. in the same, you know. It, oh, he okay. saw another faker. Oh, right? and they make the art. The yeah, and he was oh, like, "You're, you're right, a faker, right. and yeah, yeah. I'm a faker." You know, yeah. well, he didn't really claim himself as a faker, but he's like, "You're a faker, and yeah, you yeah. can't be here. Right. This is my thing because yeah. he can't cry I'm in sorry, front of right. another faker." Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. That's so, okay. so if that's I was point. if I was to write this t- for clinicians, the book, <laughs> I would have said that he was physically and maybe even sexually abused by a woman in his childhood and abandoned by his father which which they mm, mentioned I the could see that yeah yeah because in order to have any dissociative disorder you have to have been severely ongoing abused as as a young child you can't have a stable personality and then get abused as a teenager maybe his dad didn't run away maybe his dad got arrested May, maybe so so someone severely abused him repeatedly mm. because when you have no escape and you're exposed to something over and over again your brain develops this this coping mechanism that persists into adulthood that gets triggered when it doesn't need to get triggered because you're you're no longer in danger but but it has that mechanism that just automatically kicks in so is it possible that marla then triggered that for him right so when i was watching it this time and trying to mm. trying to fit it into the dissociation uh, paradigm is that you know he goes to these groups and particularly the all men's group mm-hmm. where he has this man who has breasts and so he can connect he, he he wants to connect to a woman but he can't but he can connect to a man and he has breasts so it's sort of like yeah. a, a woman in a man's body Interesting. and and, and his cr- voice is all you know estrogeny and yeah, yeah. and he cry and and he's huge yeah. you know that his breasts are at eye level for like him. a yeah. mom yeah. if he was you right. know five right and so he's hugging her and he and he cries for the first time and sleeps well that night yeah mm-hmm. well he, he says he sleeps like a baby sleeps yeah, like a baby right. yeah. and he's no and he doesn't dissociate someone because, write this down because yeah no kidding because <laughs> he's, he's he's you know he's he's getting what he always wanted and then a woman comes into his oh. into his realm and she is and he knows that she's a faker and you know this woman is invading right and so a woman must have been difficult for the narrator mm-hmm. when he was a child and it was and he said he could no longer sleep so she's triggering his PTSD in all likelihood right. he would have PTSD as well yeah and or just triggering his dissociation 
And so, so that was another element to it. Um, so then wait, so, so yeah, I want to hear more about that. Sure. Uh, so then in the end, when, when they kind of have that connection, they're yeah. holding hands as the buildings are blowing up. Yeah. Tell me how, like how that would fit into that theory. Well, so he throughout the movie is struggling with this integration of these two altars, mm-hmm. the narrator and Tyler Durden, and they're, they're battling and he's trying to also connect with Marla. But since the masculine part of him can only connect through douchey sex and the narrator's trying to connect to with him, with her through caring and like he goes to her house and takes care of her one night and yeah, checks for the lump in her breast. Right. And so he is trying to bring these two together. So the whole him can have a connection. That's why I was bringing this up because I, I, I think, you know, when you said that, it made a lot of sense to me that the whole movie is about the narrator trying to have a connection with somebody. Right. Trying to have a secure relationship. Or be normal. Yeah. And and have someone that loves him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and someone he could trust. All, all throughout their relationship, she was always like, leave me alone, never come back. You're, you're crazy, you're this, you're that. And then now he's trying to fight to have her. And he's like, right. if you leave on this bus, I will never, you know come after you or whatever it is or i'll never follow you but yeah that's an interesting point because i I knew the the marla character played a significant role like in my mind i was like she plays a significant role um in his in his i guess desire or or his thoughts of what normal is you know normal he's got the apartment he's got the job he's got everything he's missing the woman and as we were talking about you know you you finish university because that's what i have to do and then you get married Mm because that's what i have to do but she wasn't the normal woman right like she wasn't the one that his job character would have had so i think that that kind of almost uh drew him to her even more because he was like she smokes she's crazy like i am showing up to these things and pretending to be dying and she's but i love her like like there was this draw to her um but also allowed him to escape his reality because here's here's someone that i want to be with but i'm not like her and she would never be in my world you know what i mean yeah yeah so dissociative identity disorder is difficult to detect and uh, that's why uh, there it's not talked about a lot because of the Ooh, people that co- I think I just saw it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a penis. <laughs> <laughs> a big hairy penis. <laughs> Many if not most clinicians think DID or dissociative identity disorder is not scientifically valid like what you're saying Cal is. You you probably heard from people saying and I've heard it by many people that DID is 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 faked. That yeah. it's a it's a figment of our imagination in the in the media. Well, certainly. So some people think that clients will fake it to to get something. They'll malinger or they'll have factitious disorder. Also, some people think that it's fanciful thinking by the clinician. You know, it's like it's 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 fun to think that people have multiple personalities, and a clinician who's bent on that idea might actually see it where it doesn't really exist. Um, and other people will say, and actually have research to back this up, that for some cases, it's actually caused by the clinician through suggestion in the way that uh, clinicians would sometimes inject, quote unquote, repressed memories of sexual abuse as a child, in the same way you can socialize a client into believing and acting that the, as a, in a way that's, that's, uh, that conforms to the clinician's idea of what DID is. 
So, you know, it's like That's a client will say, oh, I'm, I'm very distressed. Um, oh, so sometimes do you feel like you're different people? Yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do, do you, you know, and just, you just go down that road and eventually yeah. you've actually manipulated uh, someone into actually presenting as if they have DID and then everyone drinks the Kool-Aid. Well, the, the one that threw it, threw it for me was when you added, when you said that the diagnosis includes the, or the patient said so right <laughs> right so uh other people think that it's just a particular presentation of borderline personality disorder and we won't go into that too much but but they'll they'll think that it, it has and there's some research that they're often comorbid they often coincide people will have borderline and did because they're both mm. associated with childhood trauma um and studies have also found that it's very difficult to tell the difference between those who are faking did and those who actually have it so that's right. another thing it, it's like when they when they have people who quote unquote actually have it and then they get a control group of people that are faking it and then they have them go to different uh, clinicians to be diagnosed the, the the experienced diagnosticians have a difficult time determining who's faking it and who has it quote unquote for real so therefore is everyone faking it you know <laughs> well, that yeah. that's that's a question but I mean, also, how would we know? But um, what difference does it make? You know, if right. that's that person's reality, even if they are lying to you, then there's still something there to work with. Well, it is, as therapists, you and I have that liberty to, to say. It's like, well, what does it matter? I mean, it, it, but sometimes people get out of legal trouble. They right. say, well, right. I have DID. That was my other... Like the movie you were mentioning. That's right. Yeah. Right. It wasn't me. It was, it was a different It wasn't state. me. Yeah. Or they want to get disability or they want to, you know, I don't know, get out of jail early or something. So so that's why some people need to, you know, figure well, and, out. And that's happens. why I asked you guys if you've ever seen it, because to me, you know, it's it's like hypnosis because I've never seen it or it's never happened to me. I think hypnosis for me, like to quack like a duck when he snaps his finger, is is fake. It That's, is it is fake, right? It's one hundred percent fake. But they've proven that okay. hypnosis is a thing, but it's right. not that, not to that extreme. Uh, y- there's there's hypnosis. People use hypnosis in various ways, right. and actually, they used to use hypnosis with multiple personality disorder. You didn't say spoiler alert, by the way. What if someone thinks hypnosis is real? <laughs> <laughs> the the part of it that I found interesting is all these support groups. You know, they're all kind of religious connotations now i don't think in the movie they really went into religion about it like in the in the support groups like what do you mean give some examples oh you mean the support groups themselves are right. religious well have some sort of spirituality because if you're going to believe that the cancer is leaving your body oh they had spirit animals right they had stuff. yeah and so all that stuff so so you have to have this other type of you know uh reality or realm in your in your belief system which is another thing that he didn't really have like he's a he's a possessive type of person everything was about real this that he never really talked about any kind of religion but it was interesting for me that he would go and find this peace with within that kind of society so in in that same idea of and i'm 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 sure i'll come full circle i don't know when but i will eventually (laughs) um but in that same idea of self like finding yourself uh do you get a lot of patients that that fall back on religion religion told me to do this or growing up i was taught this in my religion and now i'm lost because I did everything religion told me to do and now i am got seven kids and I don't want them. Can I opt out of a religion conversation? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Umberto? Oh, absolutely. And by... <laughs> <laughs> Umberto... No. Berto is an atheist. That He's the, the, the resident atheist in the podcast. That's right. 
I'm an, I'm a half in the closet atheist. And I'm not trying to bring up like a whole, and I wasn't trying to put you on the spot for religious beliefs. Well, but I mean, I'll, I'll answer it briefly. Yeah. Certainly there are, are clients that will talk about their confusion regarding religion in their life. And certainly there are a lot of clients that come in and t- want to talk about religion, but they think I don't want to talk about it. So I have to bring it up. So it's, it's, it's complicated. Um, for instance, I can talk, I'm not Mormon, but I can talk with a Mormon at length about their belief system in therapy because I've talked with a lot of Mormons in therapy. And so I will often talk with people about that. But, but certainly there will be people that will be raised, say, Christian, and then they go to college and the Christianity goes away. And now they don't know what that means in their life anymore. And so certainly that's an existential discussion. It's something that that we explore from their world, not me as a clinician telling them what they're supposed to believe or right. where they're supposed to go. And, and I think the reason why I even brought that up was because societal norms right now, uh, you know, we go based off of, it's a lot different than 50 years ago. 50 years ago, there was, it wasn't necessarily religion, but there was a more of a family, uh, you know, again, you, you had a path. Your path was kind of labeled for you. Now Absolutely. it's not labeled for you. So, Right. The only things that label your path are your parents if if as they're raising you and most of those if they do have a straight narrow labeled path it's based on some sort of religious belief. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where my thought is is that True. you know even myself who was you know trying to go through this self of you know what am I trying to say like discovery. To, yeah, discovery and trying to figure out, you know, who I am and where, what's my purpose and all this other stuff. It always fell back to to try to figure out, well, is it religion or is it, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? And and that's kind of where where it's funny, it's interesting to me where his whole thing, his whole concept of self kind of lays there. But then he goes to these groups where mm-hmm. they're predominantly religious, you know, or spiritual type of groups. Right. right. They're... They're spiritual, they're in touch with, you know, the higher power, and they would talk about that. But it sounds like you need to talk to Cal, because he's, he's the perfect therapist for you in terms of that question. Like privately? I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure he means right this second? Go. Are you, are you diagnosing me with anything that, that I need to know? Are, the questions that you're asking are right up the alley of an existential therapist. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Were you raised Muslim? No. No, uh, I, you would say, I would probably say more spiritual. My dad always said there was a God, but he he kind of looked at the good of all religions and he said, no matter what religion, they all have the same goods. Okay. Um, so always follow whichever religion you pick. There's always good. And the, the bad side of the religion and being from a country that was, you know, uh, had a revolution based on religion and everything else, he kind of you know, separated himself from that because everything he knew growing up changed because of religion. Right. So he was like, you know, all in his eyes, all the bad in the world at that point are happening because of religion, whereas technically religion supposed to bring all this good into the world. Mm. So in that aspect, it always got me to start thinking about, you know, why are, why is there so, mu- so much you know, pain in the world if if everyone's got this beautiful religion that's talking about peace and love and, mm-hmm. you know, do on to others and whatever else it is. So that's where I think my 
you know, my my way towards being an atheist kind of came in was because I kept looking at it and I was like, well, I don't see, you know, the the bad outweighs the good in my opinion because of all I see, right? But then I watch Fox News a lot, so that's probably what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's beautifully said, but the, the, the bit that I will point out is that you say that us today don't have religion and we don't have a direction, but I'll just point out that the vast majority of humans today are extremely religious in, in, and the majority of Americans are are, are religious. It's just in that a it's, different way, though. Well, no, it, no, they're still the same. It's is just it? in Seattle. Yeah, in Seattle is a and, different story. And Vancouver, BC, where you're from. Right. This is one of the most atheistic areas in no, the, and I, and in I the world. Yeah. In the world, you know. But it. But uh, and for a lot of people, their religion. If they don't know you, they won't express that to you. But right. you'd be surprised how many people. Even in Seattle, because again, the the majority of even Seattle people are religious. And, yeah, but but a lot of things have changed because like the Catholic Church that I grew up with in Colombia cannot present itself anymore in the same ways because they have lost so much credibility. And so the the the, the things that except people, among people that are Catholic that love no. the Catholic Church. No, no, even in Catholic countries yeah. like Latin America, they they have had to start making so many excuses. Yeah, but I know, had to but I know Catholics how they, how they in, in our community that that have ways of justifying that. You know, like that's that's the thing though. That's what you're starting to see a lot is is well, you know, I don't subscribe so much to this, that, this, that, this, that exception, exception. Yeah, it's exception. like a fiscal but Republican. I yeah, exactly. You're seeing a lot of that with Catholicism, anyways, uh, which is a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, Catholics. we're we're in a pluralistic society, so it's hard for any religious group to cloister themselves away from these questions that have to be addressed. So, with the internet and everybody with all these different ideas, I mean, we'd be very lucky if if people actually did believe in astrology throughout the world and if that was their main belief because the worst that it would happen is like hey i'm a match with this guy because we both no, like sunshine humans would find a way like the leos would kill the scorpios <laughs> and, anyway right because the scorpios are evil <laughs> i'm a scorpio but <laughs> so um just a little bit more about did dissociative identity disorder according to some research 1.5 percent of the u.s population can be diagnosed with did at, at any given time so that's a lot of people yeah that's like what three point about like four or five million people in the United States can be diagnosed with it. Uh, again, as I said before, what? it's it's caused by trauma. Wait, wait, that, that millions of people apparently what? Yeah. are diagnosed or can be diagnosed. Can be diagnosed. That's the thing. It's like that's where it starts being a little weird, right? Because then I would expect to run into someone. Well, and I'll get into that more in a bit. Right here, buddy. So yeah. it, it, because <laughs> it's hard to detect, there's one. People are often really ashamed of it. So mm. so they don't often – so they'll present as being depressed or they'll present as, as being borderline or bipolar or something. So so another thing is is uh, statistics show that 70% of DID patients have attempted suicide at least once and many have, have attempted several times. Hmm. So this isn't just like, oh, I have DID. This is interesting. 70 – most of them are extremely distressed by wow. by life because trauma causes a lot of problems you know if you've been traumatized as a child you have a you have a, a number of issues as mm -hmm. a result of that and the did doesn't protect from that it just kind of creates a coping for that okay uh so just a little bit more about did here um research has shown that most clinicians don't know how to diagnose or treat it and most clinicians don't even receive training in it. I mean, did you get training in, in, in your training program? No, not really. We learned what it was, and that was that was it. Yeah, in my training program, we don't. I don't go in. We don't go into it very much. 
So, and we, I doubt anyone talks about how to treat it. So also most DID patients are ashamed of their DID experiences, which may, may be compounded by clinicians who accuse them of faking it. Right. So they could, so, you know, for a lot of clinicians, since they don't believe in its scientific validity, uh, someone will present with those kinds of symptoms and the clinician will be like, will even just accuse the person or even be hostile with the person that, that they're faking it. That's good therapy right there. Yes. Hostility. Yeah, it's wonderful, right? <laughs> um, some research has found that DID patients are, are not usually using their diagnosis for attention. So not only are they ashamed of their symptoms, but they would never use it to get attention. So they're, they're usually closeted to some extent. Um, having said that, many people do in fact fake dissociative identity disorder to get attention or to manipulate other people or to avoid legal consequences. For instance, one study found that 10% of patients claiming to have DID were in fact faking it. So it's a commonly faked uh, issue, and so it, it it is sometimes faked. I mean, the thing is, if if I can only imagine, if I were going through something where I start realizing, oh my God, there's two of me or more, right? And I don't have control. Like, that's the most terrifying thing, right? It's like finding out you're getting Alzheimer's or something, right? Because it's like, what's me, what I believe is me, is not me for swaths of time that I can't control. So like, yeah, it'd be embarrassing is a word, but it'd be like terrifying too. Like I'd be like, I can't, I might, you know, right. Ah. Right. It would be a very anxiety provoking thing. How would you know you have it? Like, wouldn't you like, so for example, there's, you know, the only times I can think about people that to me were completely different people was when they were on under the influence of something and usually alcohol. So, you know, you see someone and, and they're black out drunk, but very con- like they're very able to function and say stuff. And, and, but then the next day they don't know anything. Right. So, so that's not DID. That's, that's a substance induced situation. And that's actually in the definition of DID is it can't be caused by a substance or by a medical condition. So, uh, so, let me give you a presentation of, of, of what it might look like in terms of how a person presents because people don't usually know that they have it by definition because you've you don't remember being the other alters right. you know uh, but sometimes people do know it um, so anyway. so a common presentation is this a, a man comes into therapy for depression anxiety and suicidal ideation and he has trouble sleeping he's talking about how he doesn't sleep well at night that's a common thing about DID. He, he reports experiencing loss, loss of time where he says like, like where the narrator will say, how long was I asleep for? That kind yeah. of stuff. Ranging from short moments of just a few minutes to several days or several hours or wow. something like that. So they'll, they'll come into therapy and upon interviewing, you know, so do you have any memory problems? Let's say like, actually, yeah. Well, tell me about that. Well, sometimes I'll be in one place and then the next moment I'll be in another place. Or they'll say, I came home one time and there was a new car in my garage. Jeez. And I took it back to the, I, you know, reported it stolen. And someone said, it's registered under your name, sir. You bought it two days ago. And they'll say, I had no memory of buying this car. And I can't even imagine why I would have bought a car because I couldn't afford it. And so... <laughs> Or, or they'll have new items or things will be moved in, yeah. in their place or they're, they'll have new f- you know, food in their fridge and they'll be like, where did this come from? Or charges on their credit card or this sort of thing. Um, so they'll have a lot of memory gaps in their adult life. He might, uh, a person might say, 
I bump into people sometimes and they say they know me and I have no idea who they are and they seem to know me very well and they can say things about me that I must have told them, but um, I don't know who they are. Psychics? Uh, yeah. You believe in those? Though, He's right? in the Matrix. <laughs> I'm in the Matrix. Psychics are totally real. Yeah. Astrology, no, but psychics, 100%. <laughs> and when uh, they think back on their lives, usually DID patients will say that they were severely abused as children, even though they might not want to talk about it. So that's a typical presentation. So they don't come in saying, I have all these personalities, I need help. They, they come in with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and these, these memory gaps. And then it's up – and. Because, again, DID is not in our culture, and so people aren't able to self-diagnose. If you have depression, it's enough in our culture where people say, I think I'm depressed. And then they'll Google depression, and they'll go, yep, I'm depressed. Someone has massive memory gaps. They don't go, I have dissociative identity disorder. I'll Google that, right? Because it's just not been propagated through the culture. But now they will. Well, for these people, I guess. (laughs) What if they what if they blew up some buildings that had controlled all the finances in the world? Would they Google? If they told me a week DID? before so I could buy some stuff, that'd be cool. So what do you think, Berto? After I talk about the diagnosis, do you think it's real scientifically? Or do you think everyone's faking it? Is this like a tougher bluff? No, I, I, I can't I tend to feel there must be a phenomenon there because A, um it's well, I mean, it seems really odd to me that all the media about it and all the stories about it and all those things started because some people faked it in the early 20th century. Like, that just seems a little weird to me. It could have been, but it seems weird to me. So I, I tend to go with the, like, and, and oh, here's the other thing. There is so much research about what happens when you do partition the, the lobes and when, when people do. And actually, and I've seen firsthand, I know that this one's drug-induced, but I've seen firsthand a completely different personality come out of someone on meth, you know? And so I'm like, the brain's capable of it. It's all in there. So am I shocked that some percentage that in the end is not, I mean, 3 million is 1%. It's not 10% of the population, right? Uh, that would have such things and very yeah actually I believe it I believe it what do you think Cal are you convinced that it's no longer fake and it's there's no right answer to this I'm usually of the personality that that I like to see things before I make a judgment call on it but uh, I don't see any reason why not I mean of course there's probably lots of cases where people lie about it but I'm sure you know um, there's probably been lots of times where that's 100% what was happening yeah I don't believe it at all what do you think Omid are you convinced no, probably because he uses a lot of big words. But um, no, in reality, I. It's funny because I always see. I always feel like unless you're completely out of it, I think everyone kind of has a little bit of DID in them. I, I just do. I've seen people, you know, different around family, different around their wives. You know, I used to joke around with my friend that every time he met, every time he was around his girlfriend, he was like this perfect gentleman. But then when he was with the boys, he was like, ah, I'm with the boy. And like, and it was, and it wasn't fake. Like it was real, but he had all these different, now I get these time lapses and all these other extremities. Um, I I don't think of the 1% that are diagnosed, I would say maybe another 5% of those might be actual real DID, in my opinion, in my non-professional opinion. <laughs> I, I would say that I, I agree with what you're saying, Omid. Uh, I would raise that percentage up a little bit to say about like maybe 50% of those people, quote unquote, actually have it. And I base it on two things. One is, is a is a, you know, a review of the literature from a lot of very intelligent people, you know, honestly researching this sort of thing. 
And also, I have a colleague of mine whom I really respect, and he's the sort of person that is skeptical of everything. He hates the DSM. He thinks it's all a bunch of crap. He can't be that skeptical. <laughs> and he teaches psychopathology, which is interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but he, he has a very healthy skepticism about, about everything, and he's a very intelligent guy. I'd love to have him on the podcast, actually. And he says that he totally believes in DID and has seen it firsthand and has worked with people. And Did he uh, believe it before he saw it firsthand? Uh, I don't know what he would say to that. My guess is he would have said that he was skeptical about it prior. Uh, and he, he's, a, he's a believer now. Wow. And, and so, so for those two reasons, I, I say that uh, in all likelihood it does exist among some of the people, especially the bit on people are normally ashamed of their symptoms. Right. If you're ashamed of something, then it's got to be real, right? right because right. otherwise, if you're if you're not ashamed of it, if you're like, look at me, I'm DID, everyone, you know, then then you you have some question as to what are you getting out of this. But right. but if people are trying to hide it most often, then then that lends some credibility to it in in my mind. But I, I think it's totally fake. Yeah, I think you're fake. What? I don't think I think you're just a figment of my imagination. <laughs> Can you imagine if who you and I who, who would be Tyler and who would be the, I guess you'd be Tyler? No, there's two different characters altogether. <laughs> they're their cousins. We're Can both I, Tyler. Can I be Marla? I'm I'm uh, Tyler Durden's Colombian nephew. <laughs> um, oh wait, I'll be Robert. But yeah, you can uh, cry in my boobs. <laughs> One of these days. You say you have man boobs, but you do not have man boobs. No, they're not like full on. Eventually, I mean, eventually we're all. He's get working there. on it. I've, I've gotten, I've lost my hair, so you know that's happened. You've lost your your religion. I've lost my religion. Wasn't that a song? Yes. Yeah. So what if like what if you do listen to the podcast one day, uh, Handy, and you actually realize there's no Bardo at all? There's no, in it's fact, just it's empty going space. Like, what just if I listen to the podcast one day and I realize there's no Bardo? What? <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> but the question would be is, would we hear you doing this His voice right. or would there just be a little bit of dead air when he's talking? <laughs> so what's the final word, Cal, on this, on this topic of Fight Club and existentialism and DID? One word. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You don't have to have one. Okay. What about what do you have? Do you have an I mean, final sh word? Should should we start a fight club? Oh, right here, right now, right here. Can't talk about right it. If now. I don't start it. I really don't want to do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> we could just stand at. I like, gotta get to the airport tomorrow, and it's already hard <laughs> enough to get through the airport, let alone with bruises all over my face. You gotta realize there well, is no ear. airport. <laughs> <laughs> What's the final word, Omid? <sighs> I can never say just one word. Mm -hmm. Um. I, you know, it's funny because I, I think that when this movie came out, if you go back and you look at the 90s, there was a whole new conception of what what be, what yourself was. It was a very uh, interesting time. Like I said, it was, you know, anything that hurt wasn't good. Fat wasn't good. It was fat-free, Diet Coke. You know, everything was, you know, this realm of, uh, of quick and fast. Like, how do you get skinny in 90 seconds? How do you do this in, in this time? You can get hair with a spray on the back of your head. Now let me show you how to cook chicken in 20 seconds. Like, that was the 90s. And yeah, um, That's true. But now we're kind of almost the same place. Like, we're there. It's just different. Now it's like, well, instead of wearing a suit,
suit and tie to work, you're going to wear a t-shirt and jeans and Absolutely. you're going to be different. Absolutely. And you're going to, now you're going to get a tattoo and you're, that's going to be individual. Your meaning is in how many retweets you get. Right. <laughs> and your, you know, your koi fish is the same as everyone else's, but yours has a different meaning. Yeah. So I feel like we're, we haven't really changed that. It's just the way we're going about it is different. And, uh, and it's interesting to me because as you see, as you get older, you see younger people getting to those ages that you are. And I feel like almost like our youth are, are, are almost more lost than we were. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, again, we have a little bit of an age gap. So I was kind of lost when I went to university. I did everything I was supposed to do. Graduated high school, went to university. Tried to go into commerce, didn't get in. Then I went to economics, couldn't get in. Then I went to poli-sci, you know, and then it ended up in sociology. And it wasn't because... You know, I liked sociology. It was because I needed a degree. Why? Because my parents said I needed a degree. And so you come out with a degree, then you get a job and then so on and so forth. And and, and I feel like, you know, we end up losing ourselves in that aspect. And and college kids now or younger kids coming up through school, you said one word, right? <laughs> <laughs> Them coming this up. This is one of those German words that's really, really long. It's hashtag, so I can put it all together in one thing. Hashtag. You're the master of the long hashtag, by the way. That's right, because I can't just say one word. Uh, but I just feel like they're even more lost now because they feel they're, they're even more, they have more of a, a concept of if I do this, if one plus one must equal two, and then when they get to two, we kind of figured it out. Oh, it's not two. Like, Cal, you were saying you watch this movie and you change your whole perspective of life and you kind of change stuff of what you did, right? You used to be a publicist. Well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I changed careers because of this movie. No, but... But, but yeah, I changed my perspective on things. But your perspective was a little bit different. Yeah. And, and you change stuff. Whereas right now, I feel like they do get to the one plus one doesn't equal two. And then they just sit there and they go, why? How come? And it's not a matter of changing and, and working within the system. So, what was your question? <laughs> Are you really kids making that these kids these days? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Uh, get off uh, my lawn. In about four days, I'm going to be in my mid-30s. So, it's a pretty scary time in my life. Well, I think I think it's beautifully <laughs> Those said. Those darn kids. It's beautifully said. Oh, man, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you could have. No, <laughs> I, because, because that's exactly what I was thinking was, was what you were saying. The the thing I'll add to that, and maybe this is why kids today are having an even harder time, is that kids today understand cliche more than any other generation ever. They that's that's what hipsterism comes out of because right. uh, everything's been done before and everything is a is an affectation. We we know what you know in the eighties, Berto, when we grew up, you would wear something cool because you thought it was actually cool. Kids right. today wear something. Because it's supposed to be like they're sort of ironically acting cool. Yeah, not cool. Right. Like, I'm going to do this because it's not cool, but, 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 but they it have, is cool. But they have such a meta-level understanding because there's so much talk or awareness of our culture now that's never been... I mean, imagine if in the 80s we were aware of our culture, <laughs> how ridiculous we would look at ourselves. Like, Chuck Norris and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies were the most popular... I mean, today... The Karate you, Kid. You can't get away with that. Oh, so with yeah. existentialism or with Fight Club sentiments, I imagine that those are even poo-poo to some extent. It's like, oh, that's so 90s Fight Club. Right, yeah. right, you know? right. Oh, that's... Oh you, oh, you read a Nietzsche book and you think you're... Sp- Special, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I, I really feel for young people today because of that. And maybe that's what you're talking about. 
<laughs> I hope so. Well, here's a perfect example. <laughs> we'll find out with what emails you get after Here's this. an example of that, and it's even dated already because it's now everything's going so fast that five years ago is too late. Right. Um, you guys know the book, the comic book Wanted. They made it into a even worse movie. But uh, the graphic novel, I sort of like because of the second half and how subversive it is. Uh, the movie I really didn't enjoy. Angelina Jolie, right? Yeah. That was with the bullets that could go around corners. That's right. They could bullet foo the hell out of that. I know. Her so work. this is one of those gripes of wrath for me. Oh, yes. Because the, the graphic novel, I hated the beginning of it because it stole from Fight Club and The Matrix and American Psycho. Like literally, like because the guy is in this shitty job wearing almost exactly the same thing that Aaron Norton is. And he's so frustrated and his life is so droll and he's got, you know, this and that. And he's got the guy at work that he hates, and oh, and, and the, his name and, is Blighter Berman, <laughs> almost basically. <laughs> and 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 the panels they're drawn in such a similar, and it's obvious the guy literally drew inspiration for that. So in some ways, I don't fault them because it's like, well, he's inspired by the same things I am. And and the reason the graphic novel for me in the end is okay is because he takes it in a completely different direction, and it's super subversive towards the end. The main guy is an absolute mastermind uh, bad guy, but in the movie. It's worse because this starts this way. There's some scenes where you're like, oh my gosh, they lifted that right out of Fight Club. They lifted that right out of The the Matrix. They lifted that right out of American Psycho. But then they change the whole meaning of the graphic novel. And by the end of the movie, he's the reformed bad guy. And so it's, it's, it's like watered down vanilla. And so to me, that's one of those like pastiche of a pastiche. Like they grab the things we liked and enjoyed and we were honest about our liking it. And they turned it into a caricature of itself. And then they softened the blow anyways. So you're saying that kids today... (laughs) Kids five years ago. Kids five years ago are not even aware of the awareness of the awareness. Wait, was that the movie where she came out of the hot tub and you could see her back? Yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah. Wait, she did that in a couple of movies. Yeah, she did that in the dragon in the. She also she also too. shot a yeah, gun yeah. and yeah. she also ran and jumped. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Cal. I thought this was a fascinating topic. You emailed me last week and we got you in here today to talk about this. So thanks for coming by. Yeah. Thanks for having me in here. Yeah. And thanks clap? for thanks. Yes. Let's clap. Woo! Clap for Cal. Woo! Cal. Cal, you got the clap. No, <laughs> not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Omid, thanks for joining us. I've always wanted you have wanted to have you on the podcast. You should definitely come back and and be a our ongoing bald Iranian non professional non professional psychological. I took a psych course once. Does that qualify me to talk? Absolutely, perfect. Berto's uh, never taken a psych course. So. Don't uh, invite yeah, me because I will be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, so to all you out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it and you deserve to have meaning in your life. Right, yes, Cal? Absolutely. Find your meaning. And if you can't find it, call Cal Ledbetter practicing in Seattle. He's in the book. Would you feel the head in the ground? Oh. <laughs> That's your favorite scene. Yeah. That's a really Where good scene. Where is my mind? I was going to start beatboxing. Even though Where I don't know. Is my mind? I don't know how to. Oh. Where is <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, the last scene where the the uh, buildings come down and it's that. Oh, yeah. ah!
Or, yes. Uh, and he's I hold, love it. He's holding her hand and he's got half a face and he's like, this is He says, he says, <laughs> you, met me, you met me at a very strange time. In my yeah, life. yeah. It's awesome. That almost feels like I want to tell my wife the same thing. You met me at a very strange time <laughs> in my life. <laughs> uh, 